Did you ever get called any names when you were a kid? You probably did, because kids are bad to do that sort of thing. Poke fun, call names. Kids do that. I know when I was a kid, I was called String Bean, because I was tall and skinny. And, and also, sometimes they called me Four Eyes, because I always had to wear glasses ever since I was really uh, in the early grades of grade school. Well, you get called names, right? Uh, we survived that. Maybe it wasn't pleasant at the moment, and as children, we might have taken it kind of hard, but you can survive that. You know, the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I I guess that's true. Uh, How would you like it if someone called you a name now, even as an adult? What if someone called you peculiar? You're just, you're peculiar. You're a peculiar person. Uh, that's not a typical name that name callers might use, but certainly if someone said it in that tone of voice, it might very well hurt your feelings. But the fact of the matter is that that's a name that is supposed to accurately describe those of us who are Christians. In the text that Monty read for us earlier, he was reading a different version. This is the King James Version. The King James Version says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so, in this translation, the word peculiar is used, and it's assigned to God's people. You are a peculiar people. Now, other translations do translate that differently. One version, A couple of versions say, A people for God's own possession... The New King James Version says his own special people. Another version says God's own people. So obviously there's a little variation in translation there. But the, but the King James Version says peculiar people. The dictionary says that that word means strange, odd, uncommon, unusual, distinctive from others. We want to build upon that definition this morning, and and we want to investigate this description uh, of God's people, a peculiar people. That's what we want to have as our lesson this morning. Stop here for just a minute to thank you all for being here. It's been mentioned by lots of people, and even in our prayers this morning, that we have a beautiful Lord's Day and a great privilege to be able to assemble together. And it really is just a wonderful day. And it's always good to be together to worship God. Our objectives are pretty simple this morning. We want to praise and honor and glorify Him with our worship. That's priority one. That's the most important thing that we've come here to do today. And we certainly hope and pray that that will happen. We think that happens when we worship Him in accordance with the authority of His Word, doing Bible things in Bible ways. So that will be our objective. If you see any question or concern about how that's being carried out, By all means, say so, so that we can address that. We want to be worshiping God just the way he prescribed in his inspired word. But a second objective, and a very important one also, is that we would be edified, encouraged, built up uh, in the most holy faith. And we hope that that will happen too. We hope that when we leave here this morning, everybody will be able to say, it was time well spent, We, we were blessed by coming together today. And we hope that will be true. If you're visiting with us today, thanks for coming. We hope you'll come back every time you have a chance to be here at College View. What about this idea of being a peculiar people? I want you to remember that dictionary definition again. Strange, odd, uncommon, 
unusual, distinctive from others. Think about that. And let's talk about the early Christians. What made the early Christians a peculiar people? Well, it was not because they were odd in regards to things like celibacy or the kind of food they ate or the clothes that they wore, uh, the type of work that they did to earn a living and so forth. That was not what made them odd or unusual or different from others. Now, Paul actually predicted that there would be some who would come along and begin to demand such things of Christians, like celibacy and and avoiding certain foods and so forth. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning verse 1, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now notice, uh, Paul said uh, that it would be a departure from the faith. Some shall depart from the faith. So the teaching along these lines would be a departure from the faith. But Paul's prediction has certainly come true. There are some people in the religious world that do demand celibacy on the part of at least some members of their uh, fellowship. There are, there are some religious groups that teach that meats must be avoided in various ways. There are some religious groups that teach that their members must wear special kinds of clothes, not very far from here. We are familiar with the Mennonite folks who mandate that a certain kind of clothes must be worn in association with their religious practice. That was never the case among first century Christians. Go back and look again at that list. It was never the case that they were required to observe celibacy. That was never the case. And by the way, I I realize that my chart's a little dark. I hope you can read all of that. They were never instructed there were specific foods that they had to eat or not eat. They weren't instructed to observe certain kinds of clothing. Now, obviously, they had to were instructed to maintain modesty, but there were never any special clothes that distinguished them in their religious practice. They they worked as tent makers, as merchants. They worked as even slaves. There was none of that that set them apart, that made them different. That's not how Christians then were different, and those are not the kind of things that would make us peculiar people in the world today. The things that did set them apart, they were peculiar, uh, for instance, in the very name that they wore. You remember that in the New Testament, the word Christian is found just three times. Acts 11, verse 26, the Christians, the, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Acts 26, verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. 1 Peter 4, verse 16, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God on this behalf. So the name Christian is the name that they willingly wore. Some people have said and tried to make an argument that this name Christian was a name that that originated as a, 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 a derisive kind of description. That it was, that it was actually used as a, as a means of persecuting, putting people down who were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's just wrong. 
I actually think that Isaiah had prophesied about this new name. In Isaiah 62, verse 2, The Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. I really believe that name Christian was a new name given by God. But these Christians were different in, in the sense that they wore that name. They, they gladly wore that distinctive name. Even wearing it when it caused persecution to come their way, they gladly wore that name. They, they identified in that fashion. We should not hesitate to be identified as true New Testament Christians. We should not back away from that. Uh, when we wear that name, there are people who will think that we are peculiar or odd or different. Okay, we're going to gladly wear that name of Christ. First century Christians were peculiar in regards to their obvious faith and devotion. In Romans chapter 1 verse 8, Paul said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of, notice, throughout the whole world. Imagine that. Paul was writing to these Christians in Rome. Our understanding is that when he wrote this letter, he himself had never been there. Uh, he would get there, obviously, eventually. But at the time of the writing of this letter, we understand Paul had never been there. But he said, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Is that amazing? Can you imagine that? What about us? Well, can, can you imagine that people would say, yeah, I've heard about, I've heard about you all at College View. Not just people in Columbia or Murray County. Not just people in Middle Tennessee or throughout the state of Tennessee. But all over the world. We've heard about Christians there. We've heard about your faith. That would be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? Christians were odd in the sense that they were living in such a way that their faith was known wide, far and wide. They were devoted and serving the Lord. In Acts chapter 17, when... Paul was in the city of Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. There was a persecution that arose in Thessalonica. And, and those who were opposing Paul, they couldn't catch him. They didn't find him. But they found another fellow, a, a brother named Jason. They drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Notice, they have turned the world upside down. Isn't that amazing? That these Christians of the first century were living in such obvious faith and devotion that their opponents would describe them as saying they have turned the world upside down. Uh, would anybody describe us that way? Would anybody even describe us as we've turned Columbia, Tennessee upside down? Is our faith that obvious, our devotion that clear? We should be a unique and peculiar people in this way that it is obvious to others concerning our faith and our devotion to the Lord. I think those first century Christians were also peculiar in regards to their commitment to worship and teaching. When the church first began in the city of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking bread and in prayers. These people, just from the instant that they were converted, they were, they were really committed to what they were doing. Uh, and, and that became obvious. They were worshiping and serving and teaching. In chapter 5, verse 
42, it says, Daily in the temple and every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. These people just won't be still. They won't stop talking about Jesus every day. They're out in the temple and in other places, going from house to house. They're teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ. Again, you know about the persecution that arose in Jerusalem. It led, in chapter 7 of Acts, to the uh, stoning of Stephen, whom we identify as the first Christian martyr. And so Christians had to scatter. But what did they do when they scattered from Jerusalem? Chapter 8, verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. Think about that. These people were so committed, they were going to keep worshiping, and they were going to keep teaching, and you could not make them stop. No matter how severely you threatened them, no matter how harshly you persecuted them, they were not going to stop. And that was obvious. They were, they were odd in the, that regard. They were very peculiar in the sense you could not make them stop. They were going to do this no matter what. They were going to worship. They were going to teach about Jesus. And you would not be able to put a stop to that. I wonder about us. Do we stand out as different in that regard? That we have that kind of high commitment? We're going to worship. We're going to talk about Jesus. What about our commitment to worship? Just think about that for a minute. These people were obviously very committed to worship. They Every day, they were meeting together. They were steadfast. What about us? So here's a family, and they're, just, they're, they're, they're heading off on vacation. They're going to make a vacation. They've been planning this vacation. Uh, they've really been looking forward to it. But you know one of the things that they're doing on their vacation? They have mapped out their route and where they go, so that they can be someplace to worship with faithful Christians on Sunday morning. And Sunday night, too, by the way. And then as they continue on this trip, this vacation that they've been just anxiously looking forward to for so long, even on Wednesday night, they've got their plans made so they'll be with faithful Christians for Bible study on Wednesday. I'll tell you, those people are peculiar, aren't they? Aren't those peculiar people who would go to that length to be able to worship with God's people? That's odd. That's not normal. That's unusual. Well, are we peculiar or are we not? Those first Christians were peculiar about such things. We should be peculiar too, shouldn't we? Are we going to be as committed to worship as they were committed to worship? What about teaching other people? They obviously were determined to do that. They would not stop talking about Jesus. Even when they had to flee from Jerusalem as they were being so severely persecuted, they didn't stop talking about Jesus everywhere they went. As they were scattered abroad, they went everywhere preaching the Word. What about us? Do we have that kind of reputation? You probably have known someone like this. I have through the years. That guy talked about Jesus every time he has a chance I know a brother up in Michigan who's been a big encouragement to me personally. I'm telling you, he'll talk to anybody, everybody, anybody, every time he can. He'll talk about spiritual things. That guy is that guy is unique. He's peculiar in a really good way. That's a good thing, right? What about us? Are we peculiar people? 
Are we willing to preach the Word no matter what? Is that obvious to others? Is our worship and teaching, our commitment to worship and teaching, clear enough that people would say about us, that guy is unusual. He's different. He's peculiar. What about their speech and their way they conducted their personal lives? I'll tell you, these early Christians, in their personal lives, right down to the language that they used, they were notably different. Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, beginning, In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Notice, you live such a way. And you even speak in such a way that the people who want to have something bad to say about you won't be able to find anything bad to say about you. I'll tell you, it's a very unusual person who lives in such a fashion that even people who don't like you, don't don't appreciate your values, even people who want to be able to say something bad about you can't find anything bad to say about you. I'll tell you, that's a that's a... Very unusual case. That's a peculiar person, isn't it? That's the kind of people that we need to be. When people notice the way we speak, the language we use, they ought to see a difference between us and others. Uh, When they observe the way we conduct our personal lives, the way we live, our purity of life, our morality, we ought to stand out as distinct and different. We are to be a peculiar people. Really, you think about all these things, and I've just mentioned several things that made these folks stand out in the world of their day. In reality, you could summarize it by saying their whole way of living was distinct and different. They, they were uncommon, not normal. We've been studying on Wednesday night in the book of Ephesians. We just wrapped up that study, in fact, this past Wednesday night. But one of the key passages that we discussed was Paul's instruction in chapter 4 beginning verse 22 he said he said put off concerning your former conduct the old man so there was a a, there's a way that you lived when you weren't serving the Lord Jesus Christ you were an old man of sin put that off and he says and put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness Our whole life has to be affected by the fact that we are God's people. We are to be His own special people, right? We're to be peculiar, different, to stand out from the people of the world. And that means we we don't do the things that we used to do, that the world continues to do. We put that off and we put on the new man in Christ. Uh, Our whole life has to be changed. Our whole life should be indicative of this peculiarity that denotes us from others. You know, when you stop to really analyze it, the fact of the matter is that God has always desired His people to be different and to be separate from the world in which they live. We could trace this really uh, all through the Bible. We could go back to the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We could talk about under Moses' law and, and the, the specific instructions that the, the Israelites lived under to be separate from the peoples around them. God's always desired His people to be different and separate. 
But what we've been talking about this morning in our lesson is how those first Christians, those New Testament Christians, manifested this. They were different. They were separate. And that's what God has always demanded. In 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning verse 3, Peter says, For the time past of our life... Okay, so get the picture. He's talking about how it used to be before we named the name of Christ, before we became Christian. The time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot, speaking evil of you. You used to live this way, he said, and, and you don't anymore. And it is so evident that the people around you think you're strange. It's strange. Why won't you do the things that you used to do? Why don't you live that way anymore? Why don't you talk that way anymore? Why don't you dress that way anymore? Why don't you go to the same places you used to go with us? Why don't you do the same things we used to do together? You're strange. You're peculiar. You're different. You're odd. You're distinct from others around. Peter said they, sh- they should think you're strange because you're not doing those things anymore. I'll tell you something. If we, if we have never been viewed by people of this world, especially as our society becomes more and more evil and corrupt and immoral, if we have never been viewed as being strange in this world, there's something desperately wrong. If the people of the world will look at us and say, I don't see any difference. Doesn't seem odd to me. There's, no, there's nothing strange there. If people can't see that in us, we, we, we need to make some quick and immediate, serious changes. We're supposed to be unique, different, peculiar, strange, if you want to use that word. God has always expected that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Notice this is not stated as just an option. You might like to consider being separate from the world. It's not stated that way, is it? This is a command. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. God has always expected that of His people. He did back in Old Testament times. And as we said, we could trace that. But we see it clearly in the case of first century Christians. Our forefathers in the faith. We see that in them. They were a peculiar people. We must be a peculiar people. God's always demanded that. Why would we think any different now than it has always been throughout the course of time in God's dealing with mankind. Finally, let me suggest to you that when we do that, when we willingly make ourselves a different people, a peculiar people, God promises His blessings to us. Go back to that text we were just looking at, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Notice what the text goes on to say. And I will receive you. And be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Think about that. If you'll do this, if you'll do this, God says, I will receive you. And you'll be my sons and daughters. What an amazing thing that is. What a wonderful blessing to be able to call God our Father. That we are His children. 
with all the blessings that attach to that. God says, I will receive you and you'll be my sons and daughters if you come out from among them and be separate. You see how those things are so connected, right? The text here says, do that, and this is the outcome. God blesses those who will be his own special people. God blesses those who will be unique and different, distinct from the world. God blesses us when we will conduct ourselves in such a way to be his peculiar people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, here's the text that we started out with. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice as the text goes on, which in time past were not a people, but now but are now the people of God, which have not obtained which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So in time past we weren't a special people, but now are now the people of God. Isn't that amazing? We, we, we are identified as the people of God. And we have obtained mercy. Think about that. Especially the blessing of God's mercy on those of us who will be His peculiar people. You know what we deserve? We deserve to be destroyed and to suffer eternally in hell's fire. That's what we deserve. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. And we have obtained His mercy. We, we are His people now. And although we deserve to suffer eternally in hell, we have obtained His mercy because we have chosen to be His peculiar people. We have obtained mercy. That means that the punishment that we deserve doesn't have to come our way now because we have chosen to be God's peculiar people. Well, think about that then. Certainly, we see those first century Christians, they manifested this characteristic And we know God has always demanded it. He's still demanding it. He expects it of us. But we have to know there are great blessings that are attached to it. Let me read you that dictionary definition of this word peculiar one more time. Strange, odd, uncommon, unusual, distinctive from others. That has to describe us. If it doesn't describe us, then we're not doing what's expected, right? We are to be His peculiar people. Thanks for listening this morning in such a good way. We're going to end our lesson with a song of invitation. This lesson this morning has been directed to us who are already Christians, right? And that being the case, if you are already a Christian, you realize that you haven't been living in that distinctive way that God wants. We urge you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. We'll be glad to help you and pray with you and for you this morning. Let us know how we can serve. If you're not yet a Christian, if you've not yet named that name of Christ, we hope you'll make that decision by obeying the simple gospel plan. Hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.